So if you want to turn there, find that book, 1 John. It's near the very end of the Bible. Um, and we're going to look together at this book, uh, looking at the third chapter and the first three verses. It's kind of a summary of what John writes. So real quickly, just wanted to tell you, uh, remind you, or help you understand a little bit about John, the guy that wrote this. So last year, we looked together at John's gospel. You might remember that. All the, We spent the whole year basically in John's gospel, except the summer. And we went through the Beatitudes. We went through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is the same author of the Gospel of John. And we've looked at his writings before. Uh, John was someone who was born around the year 6 and died around the year 100. So he lived into his 90s. How about that? Uh, he was a guy that was absolutely uh, overwhelmed with the truth that the love of God should be our overarching reality. That makes sense? Is that too many words? John wanted God's people to live as if the love of God was the overarching reality. He wrote to churches that were scattered everywhere. So these letters aren't just written to one individual church. Um, they are written to churches everywhere. Um, and John has a way of communicating that is both very simple and very, very deep. So when you read through 1 John, you'll find these statements like, God is light. God is love. God is truth. You'll find these all throughout his writings. And as we look at this section in 1 John this morning, this is somewhat of a summary of what he communicates to the churches because not only was there the threat of persecution, but when you go back and read through John's letters, it also seems like there was a lot of conflict in the churches. This is why when you read, you can see things like, well, they went out from us because they were not of us, because if they were, then they would have stayed. Or if someone doesn't believe that God came in the flesh, they don't really know what it means to believe in the God of the Scriptures. So it's as if John was trying to communicate not only the overarching reality of God's love, but he was also trying to help people understand that there's going to be conflict amongst God's people because we're sinners just like everyone else. He wants us to know this message of who God is and what he has done. So hear this. I'll read the first three verses of 1 John 3. Listen to this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are the giver of truth. You are the God of truth. And we live in a world of manipulation. We live in a world where it's hard to discern what is true and what isn't. So we thank you for giving us an anchor. 
We thank you for giving us something that we can understand and, and learn together. We thank you that as we sit under your word, we can know more about you, we can know more about ourselves, and we can understand more about our lives and how to work through what's going on in life. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to do just that. And whatever else you want to do in our lives, do it. We ask that you would bring us to Jesus. We ask that you would help us to see our Savior more clearly. And that he would be more and more irresistible to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So before we get into the text this morning, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about the author, John. Because I want you to know a little bit more about who he is as a person. So I found these two stories that communicate who this figure is named John the Apostle. The first one is this. You know, John lived to be really old. And there's a story that is kept in the history of the church that um, says that when John was really old, he would travel around to churches close to where he lived, which was in Ephesus at the time of his death. And when he would travel around these churches, he actually was so old that he couldn't really walk. And so there were people from the church that had to come to his little flat and pick him up and take him to the meeting where God's people would get together and worship God. And they would bring him into the meeting, the gathering of where God's people would worship, and he could hardly speak. And he would say this, little children love one another. Now, if you've read first or second or third John before, you've noticed those words. And apparently John would say those words all the time, as in like every week. He's not the only pastor that repeats stuff. And it finally got to the point where people said to him, John, why do you say these same words over and over and over? And he said, these are the words of our Savior. And if we do nothing else but them, it is enough. How about that? Wisdom from a grandfather. Here's the second story. As John would travel around the different places, of course, he would try to speak to encourage God's people. Uh, he would help other churches get planted. He was someone who knew Jesus himself. And as he would travel from place to place, of course, he would meet new people. And one place that he traveled, which is left unknown where it was, he ran into this young man and they just hit it off. Have you ever met somebody and just had a connection with them immediately? You probably have. That was John with this young man. And he met this young man, they hit it off, and John started to disciple him. And John was not going to stay there forever, and so he talked to a local pastor, and he said, hey, I want you to continue to meet with this young man because I've got to leave, and I need to travel and go here and there. So he left this young man with this pastor and, and, and left the instructions for the pastor to love this young man, disciple him, and help him understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. John leaves. A few years later, he comes back to this particular town. He comes back to this pastor, and he says, where is the young man that I left with you? Where is he? And this is what happened. He actually decided he was going to start stealing and robbing other people. He cobbled together a bunch of guys, and what they decided to do was terrorize this little town. And their reputation was they were the bloodiest, they were the most violent. They were uh, 
a band of brothers that decided they were going to rob and steal and threaten everyone. So John returns to the village after, you know, or the town after a few years. And he goes back to the pastor and he says to him, hey, where's the young man? Tell me how he's doing. And the pastor said, well, he's not here anymore. He actually has, uh, lives on the outskirts of town with a bunch of friends and they've just terrorized this community. So John says, okay, get me a horse. So he hops on a horse and he rides out through town to the outskirts of town and goes to the area where people knew where this young man uh, resided with those that were with him. So John approaches their camp and he says, take me to your leader. So they did. And as they brought John to their leader, the leader saw John and he got really scared and he started running away from John. And so John decided he was going to chase after him. So he started running, trying to catch this guy. And the closer he got to him, he said, hey, why are you running? Look at me. I'm old and I have no weapons. Why are you running? And the young man finally stopped and turned around. And John said to him, um, there's, there's mercy to be found in Christ. Uh, the young man had thought that once he started this way of living, that he was so far beyond the reach of God's mercy. Maybe some of you feel that way. Maybe there are things that you've done in your life that you feel as though are too far and beyond the reach of God's mercy. And John reassured him of mercy, and he was restored to fellowship with God's people and the church. And as one uh, historian recorded, something along the lines of, of this, this young man was a trophy of resurrection grace, which means John was someone who pursued people. He loved people deeply. He was willing to do really hard things and say hard things because he really loved his Savior. And this morning, when we look at the first John 3, we're going to look at these three things. We're supposed to think about our lives now, think about life in terms of the not yet, and then life in the middle. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, those three things, now, not yet, and life in the middle. All right, so let's roll. Now, John wants us to think about our lives right now. Look back over these verses. Look at what he says. See what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we would be called children of God. And so we are, right? Beloved, he says, we are God's children now. You see that? He wants you to know that you are a child of God right now, today. Whether you have batteries or not, I'm still a child of God. Now that is very important for us to think about because so many times we live not as though we are children of God, not as though God is our Father. Most of the time we live our lives in perhaps I'll suggest to you one of three ways. We can think of God as this miracle cream. So, when we get something is going wrong in our lives, we just go to him like we would go to some type of miracle cream, and we just apply God to that area of our lives where we need the miracle cream and just expect him to take care of it. Other than that, we don't really need him. We can also think of God in terms of, you know, Jesus is really powerful. He's kind of like this superhero, 
You know, he came from another world. He came down to this earth and he is here to take care of all the bad guys and fight for the good guys. And we can think of Jesus as the person that just, you know, defeats all the enemies and gathers up all the good people and makes sure the bad people know that they're bad. We can also think of God in terms of this, that he's just the guy that wins the teacher of the year award. You know, he's got a lot of experience. He's got a lot of wisdom. If you just listen to what he says, if you think about what he says, and then you just implement that into your life, you'll be a good person and a better person because his wisdom is better than other great teachers' wisdom. And John is actually saying, actually, none of those really work. We need to live as if God is our Father and that we are a child of God. God is so much more than Miracle Cream or uh, uh, a superhero or Teacher of the Year. What this is talking about when when John says that God is our Father and we are children of God, He is telling us that this, becoming a child of God, is something that God gives us. To be a child of God, it means that you have been given something. Something has been bestowed upon you. Something has been lavished on you. The idea that he uses in this first phrase of, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, has given us, John is saying that the love that God has given to make you a child of God is special. It's the kind of love, it's the kind of gift that requires a formal setting. And in that formal setting, something is given so that you will never be the same and the person that gives will never be the same and that our lives together are changed forever. Insert, think about a wedding ceremony. There's a marriage yesterday here at the church. There's another one that's supposed to happen this coming Saturday. A formal ceremony in which one person is saying to the other, I am going to give you my love and that should change your life because it's changed mine and our lives together will never be the same. John is saying because of what Jesus has done, because of his life for you and me, because of his death for you and me, because of his resurrection for you and for me, God has given us the reality of being his children. This is the most intimate way to describe what a relationship with God is like. Now, if you've read through the Bible or read parts of the Bible, maybe you've heard of this word before called justification, a really big word. It's something that people talk about a lot, whether they know it or not. And When God justifies someone, what he's saying to you and me is this. You are not guilty in relationship to the law. But when John says and when God says that he makes us his children because of what Jesus has done, 
Because of what Jesus has done affects our relationship to God's law. But because of what Jesus has done, we now are God's children, which is the way God is saying, yes, it matters how you relate to the law, but being my child is how you relate to my heart. So that you should forever know you are my child and you ought to think of me as your father. And that means whenever you do wrong, you should not immediately think to yourself, oh, oh, I better hide. Oh, God's going to get me. You should think, oh, I've done wrong. I need to go tell my dad. Radically different. And because this is something that is given, it means that it's something that we have to receive Because it is an act of God based on what Jesus has done for you and me, it's something that we have to receive, which makes it hard, right? Because it's easier for us to live as if God is this miracle cream that we just use and apply to us because he's that kind of guy that, you know, God's the kind of guy that doesn't like for things to go wrong in our lives. And so when something does go wrong, we just need to go to him and he'll fix it. Nope, that's not God. It's not that our relationship with God is that he is like this superhero where, again, he takes care of the bad guys and he cobbles together all the good guys. That's not God of the Bible at all, is it? Jesus is the one that comes to get people like you and me who are bad people. He makes up, he, he, Jesus really frustrates the people that think that they're good. He's the one that goes and pursues the bad people, his enemies. And wins them back. And it's not as though we should live our lives just thinking, you know what? I just need a little more wisdom from Jesus. And if I can just take something that he said and implement it in my life, I'll be better. No. Even though what he says is very true. Even though we should implement everything he says. That's not the basis of the relationship. Yes, he's unbelievably wise. But because of him, we are God's children. And he is working wisdom into us. We looked at that for a couple weeks, right? Back in James. And I want you to see something else. When we receive this and we live as, like, as if we're children of God, you might be wondering, well, how do I know if that's true? How do I know that I live like a child of God? How can I live as if God is my father? Well, think about this. If someone were to come to you and say this week, if someone were to come to you and say, hey, Are you a follower of Christ? If your answer is this, I'm trying. No, you don't know the gospel. You're not living as if you're a child. You're not living as if you're a son, a daughter of God. If someone asks you if you are a follower of Christ and you say, yes, and it is the most ridiculous thing in the world that I'm a child of God, you're beginning to understand what it means to live in relationship with God. If someone to double down, if someone comes to you and says, are you a Christian? And you say, I'm trying, you don't understand the gospel. If someone comes to you and says, yes, because I have done this, 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 and this, you don't understand the gospel. To be a child of God means if someone says, are you a Christian? You would say, yes, I am. And it is insane that I am a believer. It is a miracle that I want to follow Jesus. It is supernatural that I know that I'm loved by Jesus. 
To know that you're a child of God means that you see that everything is by grace. And it's not you, it's not me, it's not even the fact that we believe faith doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. Then we receive that. And let me tell you something else about this, being a child of God, before we move on. John, look how he begins. See what manner of love when John uses that, when, when John says, see, maybe some of your translations have behold or something like that. Like John is, is overflowing with uh, emotion and, and a sense of awe here. He's saying, will you, will you stop and look at this love? Will you think about it? Behold, what manner of love. John is emoting. He is gushing about this love of God. He is overwhelmed with it. And here is what's happening. It's happened in John, in his own heart, in his own life. It's what can happen in our lives. And it's what we need to have happen over and over and over. This is what's happening. Truth is moving. That is not me saying that truth is changing. God's truth is eternal. Stands forever. But truth is moving inside of John. Truth is moving inside of you and me. Here's what I mean. I remember when I was in college, actually remember where I was. I was reading an author named Jonathan Edwards, and he made this statement. He said, there is a difference between having a rational sense that honey is sweet and having a taste of its sweetness. See the difference? You can know in your brain that honey is sweet, but my goodness, when you taste that honey yourself, you know just how sweet it is. Truth is moving Truth is moving inside of us. Another author um, named John Owen said something to this effect. There is a difference between knowledge of the truth and the power of the truth. And when truth is moving in our lives, we don't just think of it as an abstract thing. It's moving maybe from our mind down to our heart. You know, the greatest distance in the world, mind to heart. So that truth is not just an abstract thing, but it's moved down into your heart and it just electrifies everything. That it's not just thinking this truth, but it's connecting it to different parts of life. John is not just thinking about the love of God and being a child of God and saying, well, this is objectively true. He's like, no, you got to stop and think about this. In essence, what John is saying is, see this with your heart. That's what he's getting at. See this with your heart. Truth moves and changes. And maybe if you look back over your lives, you can recognize this in very tangible ways. I hope you can add to what I'm saying. I hope that you can look back over your life and realize, you know, there was a time in my life in which I was like the one inspecting truth. I was looking for it. I was trying to find it. I was trying to figure out what's true and what's not. And then something happened. I realized, oh, I'm not just examining the truth. 
the truth is examining me. You remember those times in your life in which you, perhaps still to this day, if you're like me, it's still to this day, you have questions for God, but then you realize, oh, I guess he's got some questions for me. <laughs> truth is moving. Truth is moving from something that we just perhaps kind of analyze to it becomes the operating system. That truth moves things from mind to heart to feet and hands to where we're not just thinking what is right, but we are doing the truth, living it out. I wish this happened more in my life, and I confess before you it doesn't happen as much as it should. I wish truth moved more in my life. And if you want to pray for me to that end, please do. Not too many weeks ago, uh, I had this kind of experience, truth moving in my life, and I want to share it with you. Again, not because I'm an expert in this, but because I know that it's real. Um, I was meditating and thinking about the story where Jesus uh, sees the disciples on the water. Do you remember this? Peter and the disciples are in the little boat, and Jesus comes walking across the water. You know, in one account, well, it doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, Peter sees Jesus coming. He recognizes Jesus and says, let me come out on the water. You remember this? And Peter starts walking on the water, and then he starts sinking. Remember this? I can't tell you how many times that I've read that story. And my big takeaway was this. Dave, you just, got, you just need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, is it true that Dave needs to keep his eyes on Jesus? Please say Yes. All right, John Paul preached from Hebrews and says those very things in chapter 12, right? Keep our eyes on Jesus. It's important. But I started to realize that story is not about Peter, <clears throat> me, keeping my eyes on Jesus or not. It was about the fact that Jesus never took his eyes off of Peter. <sighs> Truth had, been, it had moved in my life. I began to realize, oh yeah, Peter was sinking like many times I feel like I'm sinking. And it's in those moments when I feel like I'm sinking that Jesus is even closer to me. Because it's then that he reaches down and touches Peter. I am so prone to read the scriptures and think about truths of Christianity and turn them into being me-centered. And the truth is God-centered. It's focusing on us on his grace and our culpability and the grace of God that helps us recognize that so that we can live our lives looking for him and what he's doing. Jesus never takes his eyes off of me, even though I'm prone to take my eyes off him. Where is truth moving in your life? Where are things moving from being up here in your head to down here in your heart? Now. You're the child of God now. Let's go to not yet. Look at other phrases here. Beloved, we are God's children now. But we do not yet know what we shall be. Right? What we shall be has not yet appeared. But when he appears, we will be like him, 
because we will see him as he is. Do you read read that? That's like straight from John, straight from God through John. It's not yet, not yet appeared what we shall be. John is telling us that the day is coming in which we will see Jesus. And when we see him, we will be changed and we will be like him. Now, do you know anyone in your life that whenever you are in their presence, it is a good thing for you? My hunch is, if you're like me, you can think of being in the presence of people where it's always a negative thing. That's all oftentimes easier to remember, isn't it? You remember the bad teachers that we had and the, and, and the bully that picked on us, right? It's easy to remember the negative, being in people's presence when it was a negative thing. Leave that to the side. Do you know what it's like to be in someone's presence where it is a positive thing, a good thing, a life-giving thing? Because John is saying to be in God's presence is to be changed, life-altering change. When I was on study leave a couple weeks ago, I was able to get dinner with a really good friend of mine. And we went to dinner, and he was just, he just started talking about his life, which was great. We hadn't talked in a while, and it was wonderful to catch up. And he was telling me about his life. He's been married about three or five years. I can't remember. I officiated their wedding, but I can't remember when, when it was. And um, he told me that he was terrified about being married. And I knew that. But he, you know, he took his vows, so everything was good. And he was terrified about having children and being a dad. And he became a dad about a year ago. And he told me that he was so afraid about being a dad. And then he was in the hospital room. And he said the first time that he saw his daughter, he didn't know he could love that much. Now that's being in the presence of someone that changes you for the better, isn't it? John is saying the day is coming in which we will be in the presence of Jesus and we will be radically changed and healed so that everything about us will be infused with life real life. You know, all those areas of your life that you feel like are just kind of empty? Maybe you have some regrets. Maybe you've got some things in your life where you still feel some shame or guilt. Maybe there's, maybe there's unfinished things in your life. If you're a human being and, and think and reflective at all, my hunch is you've got plenty of those. Things that are left unresolved, To be in the presence of Jesus is to not feel emptiness anymore, but to be full. It's to have no guilt and no shame and to recognize that in him, everything will be reconciled and made right. John is saying right now you're the child of God 
But what's coming is complete restoration and healing. So let me just quickly try to put your life in a snapshot, if you'll let me. This is as far as I can go with you at this point in my life. I'm giving you the best of what I got. Doesn't apply to everybody. Again, change this and tweak this however you need. You know, when you're young and growing up, there's a sense of energy and agility. There's a sense of strength, isn't there? And then you get a little bit older and you start being productive. And when you start being productive, you start recognizing, oh yeah, I used to have more energy and I used to feel stronger and I used to be more agile. But you don't really realize that you're strong and agile and have all kinds of energy until you get to a point in your life in which you're focusing on being effective and productive. But then something else happens in your life and you start to value things like wisdom and you start to value life experience and you start recognizing that what I have learned in my life and what I have, the, the, the pros and cons, the wisdom that I have gained is really important. And when you enter into that phase of your life, you start realizing, oh, I really used to have a lot of energy back then, or at least I used to think I did. And I really used to be more productive back then. And now that I'm at this stage in the life in which I am basically thinking about wisdom and what's most important, I recognize that a lot of that other stuff doesn't matter as much as I used to think it did. But what John is telling us here is that your desires and the reality that you are young and agile and strong and energetic and the reality that in a, there's a phase of life in which you will be productive and efficient, relatively speaking, and that there will also be a time in your life in which you are gaining wisdom, John is saying that all of those things are true. And when you see Jesus, all three of them are going to come together as they should be. And for the all of eternity, you will have energy and strength and you will be agile and you will be productive and you will be wise and it'll all fit together. You see, sin has so ravaged us that it has ripped us apart so we get to experience those things almost in segments when we don't even realize we're in a particular phrase, phase until we cross over into the next one. And John is saying, all your instincts are right. And when you see Jesus, you'll be strong and have more energy than you could fathom. And you'll be more productive than you could ever imagine. And you'll have the wisdom that you always have needed. And those will grow and grow and grow for all eternity. That's pretty encouraging. I don't know about you. That's pretty encouraging to me. So what in the world does all this have to do with my life? John says, you're a child of God. John says, it's not been revealed. So what does all this stuff have to do with my marriage, with my relationships, with my singleness, with my job, with my horrible boss, with um, the, the virus, with Thanksgiving, with my plans? What does this have to do? What does any of this stuff that he's talking about, what does it have to do with my money? What does it have to do with anything that's actually on my calendar? 
What does it have to do with anything? Well, that's life in the middle, right? Child of God, not yet, so what? Well, look at what he says. He talks about growth. Look at verse 3. Anyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John's talking about growth. What am I supposed to be doing in the middle? Living as if I'm a child of God, anticipating the restoration of everything. What am I supposed to do? Grow? Grow. John's saying grow. If you have this hope, grow. Purify yourself as he is pure. Knowing you're going to see Jesus who is pure life itself. Grow. Become more pure. Here's the challenge. When we think of growth, maybe I'll start with this. Are you growing? Do you think you're really growing? Are you just growing in knowledge to where you can answer more questions about things than you could before? You really think that's growing? Even though it's important for our knowledge to increase? Sure, great. But is that really growing? Most of the time when we think of growing, it falls in one of two camps. On one hand, we got the growing in the Christian life is like a spiritual, being in a spiritual hot tub. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just me and God. I'm just enjoying this life with God. I'm putting forward no effort. I'm just hanging out in this hot tub, just enjoying this experience. And if anything's going to happen, he's going to have to do something because I'm just, I'm just basking in my lack of effort for everything and I'm just letting go and God's just going to have to do something if anything's going to happen. That's how sometimes we can think of growth. The other side is the treadmill. This is the one that most of us are more familiar with, especially living in this area. The treadmill Christianity growth pattern is like this. I'm growing the more I conform to man-made stipulations about what it looks like to be a Christian. So the more I follow what this man says, the more I do this, the more I do that, the more I'm going to grow. In other words, this is where we turn Christianity into my self-improvement project. So we follow these rules that are all man-made, have nothing to do with faith and repentance, I got everything to do with effort, nothing to do with a cross and following a life like Jesus lived, but how I'm going to live my best life. And I'm going to know that God's will is this because everything's going to be smooth and if I just do the right thing, my life will be smooth. And oftentimes, if you look back over your life, you might realize that you've been in one of those two uh, ideas of what it means to grow. Sometimes you find yourself in the spiritual hot tub, just hanging out. Other times, you've just been running on the treadmill. It's been exhausting. And everything has been about you and your effort. And John is saying, we grow through hope. Anyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you see that? John is saying we grow through hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that we become a child of God. 
It's because of Jesus that one day we'll see him and we'll be complete and restored. So, instead of thinking that our walk with God requires no effort or our walk with God requires only our effort, we need to take what we know of Jesus and make that where we find all of our meaning. And that means we're not trying to find three ways to fix my marriage or five ways to fix my kids because I'm really dis- I really want a particular outcome. Instead of going that side of the treadmill, what we do is we look at every situation from the vantage point of, I'm a child of God. What is God teaching me through this? How is he moving truth in my life? What am I needing to acknowledge and repent of? What am I needing to believe? And I don't have to hold on to any bitterness or seek revenge because the day is coming when I'll see Jesus and everything will be restored. So growing does not look like here's how you exert your effort to get what you want. Growing means you look at every circumstance, every decision, everything in your life through what Jesus has done. You're a child of God. Truth is going to move in your life. And the day is coming when you're going to see him. Do you see the difference? One is so abstract, it seems. That's the one I'm advocating for. The other seems super concrete. You can measure it, chart it, and move on up the scale. And I'm saying that's just dead wrong. It's not the way it is. And maybe now, all the questions of application, you can receive them in a new way. Are you a follower of Christ? If you say, I'm trying, I want you to hear me say, that's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not the, the gospel is not try harder or try at all. If I say, are you a Christian? You say, yes, because I did. That's not it either. Are you a Christian? I want you to say yes, because it's insane that God would love me. He has given me everything. It's incredible. Then once you figure out that question a little bit, Start thinking about where's the truth moving in your life? Where are things becoming less abstract and getting into your heart and catching fire and combusting into every area of your life? Where's that happening? And if you say nowhere, come talk to me. I'm right there with you. But we're going to pray together about it. And we're going to taste the sweetness of honey together because God is gracious. And we're not only going to know truth, we're going to know the power of the truth together. And maybe think about how God is doing all of this by grace. You see, the reality is when we gather together to worship, God is changing us. He's moving us and truth is moving in us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the tremendous gift that you have lavished on us, which is that we would be your children. 
Lord, you know that the world does not even recognize this in us. But we are your children now. And we thank you that even though what we shall be has not yet appeared, you've told us that eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what we shall be. But thank you that you have told us that when Jesus appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Lord Jesus, we long for that day. And because our hope is in you, Jesus, by your spirit, would you help making, make us more pure and holy would you cause us to grow because of the hope that we have in our Savior? And we pray this knowing that it's all of grace. It's all of grace. Amen. If you would, please stand. I'd love for you to leave and depart this morning knowing that God's blessing is upon your life. So I hope that you will live... Um, as if you actually believe what I'm going to say is true. So look for it in your life. That's what I'm saying. Help me look for it in mine as we live life together. The Lord your God is going to bless you, and he is also going to keep you. This week his smile is upon you, and he is going to be gracious to you. And in the age to come forever and ever, even now, his presence is with you. And one day, you will be in peace. All will be made right because our Christ is alive. Amen. Go in his peace.